Thanks for listening to the weekly teaching podcast for City Church in Knoxville, Tennessee. It is our desire to be a Jesus-centered family on mission. If you live here in Knoxville or are ever visiting the area, we'd love to have you with us at one of our Sunday gatherings. You can find out more at citychurchknox.com. If you're interested in giving financially to help us reach more people in our city, you can give easily at citychurchknox.com give. And finally, if this teaching is helpful to you in any way, we'd love to hear about it. You can email us at info at citychurchknox.com. With that being said, here's this week's teaching. Love it. Well, if you've got a Bible, go ahead and turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. It's going to take us just a bit, but we will get there to that passage eventually. Uh, You may have noticed, if you've been coming around for a while, that I did not say turn to Matthew just now. That's different, right? Uh, If you're new around here, we as a church have been studying straight through the book of Matthew, sort of story by story, line by line for a lot of the past year and for the last like four months straight, Uh, but we've kind of been doing it off and on. And so we're going to take a break from Matthew for a little bit. Uh, We'll hop back into Matthew in the new year in 2020, I almost said 2021, but that's 2022. 2020 just kind of feels like a year that didn't exist, doesn't it? Or that we prefer not to have existed. So Uh, Yeah, in 2022, we will hop back into Matthew. Uh, This morning, we are starting a brand new teaching series called In Knoxville As It Is in Heaven. Now, chances are, if you've been around our church for long, you probably recognize that phrase from somewhere, maybe from the lobby wall on your way in, maybe from a sticker or a magnet or a t-shirt. I think we had in Knoxville as it is in having t-shirts made at one point. If you've been coming around for very long, you've probably seen or heard that phrase before. Uh, We tend to plaster that thing on a lot of different stuff around here. It's one of a couple sort of catchphrases that are really important to us as a church family. Um, But we got to thinking a while back as a staff, even though we use that phrase in Knoxville as it is in heaven, even though we use that phrase a lot, I don't know that we've ever taken an extended amount of time to talk in detail about what we mean by it. What exactly are we talking about when we say in Knoxville as it is in heaven? Uh, There was one Easter gathering a long time ago. I think it was our first ever Easter gathering as a church where we talked a little bit about it, but that was a long time ago, and frankly, it was not very good. I feel like I can say that because I was the one that did the teaching, but it just wasn't very good, Uh, wasn't very helpful, at least at that point in our church's history, and so we figured we would just take an extended amount of time and talk through what exactly we mean by all of that. And for starters, I think it's worth pointing out that that phrase is not original to us or to our church family at all. As many of you know, it is a play on Jesus's words from his famous Lord's Prayer found in Luke and Matthew. We apparently can't quite get away from Matthew entirely, but it's a word from his Lord's Prayer. The phrase that he uses is that he wants his disciples to pray for God's kingdom to come, God's will to be done, quote, on earth as it is in heaven. Knoxville obviously being a part of earth. If you didn't know, now you know, right? Glad I could enlighten you on that. But basically that's where it comes from. It comes from Jesus's Lord's prayer. And we think here at City Church that because that is one of the central things, the primary things that Jesus teaches his disciples to pray for, we also think it should be central and primary to how we go about our lives as followers of Jesus as well. We want to live in Knoxville as it is in heaven. Now, 
to unpack that phrase, there are obviously two main parts of it, right? There's Knoxville and then there's heaven. Now, I'm hoping most of us are clear on what we mean by Knoxville. If, if you aren't, I don't have time to go back that far. Just Google it or something. It's a great place to live. You should totally find out more about Knoxville. But the part that we're going to start unpacking this morning is the other half of it, that word heaven. Now, I think when most people think about heaven, probably inside and outside of the church, they tend to envision some sort of nebulous location up above the clouds somewhere. Uh, there are harps for some reason. There are angels. Maybe those angels look like babies in diapers. Maybe they don't. We're not really sure on that part of biblical interpretation. But that's, that's the place, and it's somewhere up above the clouds, and that is where we are going when we die. I think that's sort of the popular level understanding. That's the picture that a lot of us have in our heads. And the belief, of course, is that we are going to go there as God's people when we die. And for a lot of Christians, that idea, the idea of going to heaven when we die, is what matters really most to them. That, that for a lot of people, is the most important thing about being a Christian, such that if you were to just go out on Market Square and you were just to pull aside a random person out there and you just ask them, hey, what is being a Christian all about? What does it mean to be a Christian? If you ask them that question, if you didn't get like a sarcastic or a negative response first, you just got a neutral response, I would imagine you would hear them say something like, Christians believe that if you do or if you believe the right things, you will get to go to heaven when you die. I would imagine you would probably get some version of that answer at least a lot of the time. That's what many people outside of the church believe. Honestly, it's what a lot of people inside the church believe too. And there are plenty of reasons that people think that is the most important thing about Christianity. So a lot of sermons in church settings like this one center around that idea of going to heaven when you die. The sermon ends maybe with a person on stage asking everyone in the room if they are confident of their eternal destiny, i.e. where they are going when they die. Sometimes we are taught as followers of Jesus to start evangelistic conversations with people by asking a question like, if you die tonight, do you know where you would go? Which is quite a morbid way to start a conversation with somebody you don't know, but that's how we're taught to do it a lot of the time, right? Christian bookstores, wherever they still exist, have shelves stocked with book after book about heaven, books describing what heaven will be like when we go there, books about people who almost died and went to heaven for an hour or a day or a week and have returned to write New York Times bestsellers about their experiences, right? This is, this is a part of Christian culture, in many ways baked into who we are, or at least that's the perception. An overwhelming focus of a whole lot of Christians and a whole lot of Christian traditions centers around this idea of going to heaven when we die. Now, I'm not here to say that that isn't important or that that isn't true or that that's not worth talking about. It absolutely is. But I do wonder if sometimes we have given that idea a little more emphasis than the Bible gives it. You might be surprised to know that the Bible actually gives us very few passages about heaven in terms of the place that we go immediately when we die. 
We get about five passages in the entire New Testament about that. They are incredibly brief. They are incredibly vague in the detail that they give. They basically just say, we will be with God. That's the essence of it. Not a ton of details, no babies in diapers that look like angels, not a ton of that at all. In fact, the Apostle Paul says at one point that he knew a guy who got to go to heaven for a little bit and experience what heaven is like and then return, but he wasn't permitted to talk about it with anybody. I think God wanted to save that for the New York Times bestsellers a little bit later on, right? (laughs) So he actually says, I wasn't even permitted to talk about what I saw. So we don't get a ton of detail about that reality in the scriptures, The Bible actually spends very little time talking about what most people think of as heaven. Very little time talking about God rounding people up and evacuating them out of earth into heaven. Instead, the biblical authors, especially in the New Testament, seem much more interested in talking about another one of God's objectives when it comes to heaven. And that's God's desire to bring heaven to earth. That tends to be what they talk about a lot more of the time. God bringing heaven to earth is a much bigger focus within the biblical story. Now, it's an easy storyline to miss because sometimes you kind of have to read between the lines to see it and to recognize it, but that is a story that runs quite literally from cover to cover of the Bible. So, here's my request of you guys this morning. Give me about five minutes to give you a big picture, 30,000 foot view of that story in the Bible to where you can see that theme in the scriptures. And then once we're done, after those five minutes, we'll bring it back down to earth. We'll look at Philippians 3 and talk about what all of that means for us. Does that sound okay with you guys? I hope it sounds okay because I don't have anything else planned. So it's that or nothing. So that's what we've got this morning. Okay, five minutes. Here we go. I'm going to try to talk fast. Uh, if you want references from the scriptures, come and talk to me later. All, they will also be in the sermon notes that we post online. So the story of the Bible starts, the very beginning, with God creating a man and a woman and putting them in a garden, the Garden of Eden. But it wasn't just any garden. This was a garden where, at least in some sense, heaven and earth actually overlapped with one another. We're told that Adam and Eve, in this garden, they literally walked with God himself in this garden. So it wasn't that they were on earth and God was up somewhere else. They were right there together with God's presence in the same place. There was this constant, unbroken relationship between God and humanity. But then something happened. A serpent invaded the garden and convinced Adam and Eve that they did not need God. They didn't need his power or his authority or his truth, that they were better off living within their own power and their own authority and their own truth. And they listened to the serpent. And in an instant, what happened is that they sinned and that that sin drove a deep wedge for the very first time ever between heaven and earth. For the first time ever, heaven and earth were separated. There was heaven and then there was earth. Heaven was where God was. It was where his will was done and where things were exactly as he wanted them to be. And earth is where humans were where their will was done and where their will was what happened. And it says that in between, there was a chasm. 
There was this division between heaven and earth such that there was a flaming sword between heaven and earth guarding the way back to God's presence. Sin had created a rift between heaven and earth. But from the very beginning, God had a plan. He had a plan to bring the beauty and the realities of heaven back to earth once again. He had a plan to infiltrate the broken, degenerative value system of earth with the beautiful, life-giving value system of heaven. And that plan centered itself around him sending his son, Jesus, from heaven down to earth. Such that Jesus shows up on the scene and from the very beginning of his earthly ministry, he has one primary message that he preaches over and over again. He says, the kingdom of heaven is what? Here. The kingdom of heaven is here in Jesus. It's arrived. It's at hand. It's in our midst. Jesus had come to earth to begin renewing earth with the realities of heaven. And at the cross, when Jesus released his last breath, the Bible tells us that there was an earthquake and that the temple curtain was torn from top to bottom. Now, if you're reading through the story of the Bible and if you kind of zoom in on that one part, that seems like a random detail. But in context, it's trying to show us that the chasm between heaven and earth, the chasm between God's presence and human's presence is beginning to heal through the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. And one day, we're told that God will finish that process. He will bring heaven in all of its fullness, in all of its glory and beauty back to earth. We're told that a place called the New Jerusalem, which is this city that represents everything God wants his world to be, that that city will one day come out of heaven to meet earth. And it will create a new reality for all of those who know and follow Jesus. And on that day, we're told that there will be no pain, there will be no sickness, there will be no death, there will be no mourning, there will be no injustice. And all of the things that sin has broken on that day will be fully and completely healed. And even the things that were once broken will no longer be remembered. Everything that God wants his world one day will be. And everything that God does not want his world to be will be gone for good. And we're told that on that day, those who follow Jesus will reign forever with God on that earth. A renewed earth, but on the earth. Not that they'll float around from place to place in heaven, but that they will reign and live and feast and enjoy God's creation on the earth once again. This is where the world is headed, which means, and if you zoned out for the last five minutes and we're checking your email, here's a good time to come back with us. In the simplest terms I can put it, the point of the Bible is that heaven is eventually returning to earth. Heaven is returning to earth, which means the fantastic song from the 80s was almost right. Heaven is eventually a place on earth. I'm pretty sure that song's about something else, but we're just going to go with it, right? <laughs> Heaven is eventually a place on earth. That, believe it or not, regardless of what you've been told, regardless of what you have heard, that is the storyline of the Bible. That is the overwhelming focus 
of the scriptures from beginning to end, our story and the entire world story does not end with God snatching us all up into heaven and leaving the world to burn. It ends with God returning heaven to earth and repairing and remaking and renewing everything that sin has broken. It ends with followers of Jesus enjoying God's presence and God's goodness forever and ever with him. It ends with us enjoying the realities of heaven on earth. Now, with all of that unpacked, and thank you guys for indulging me on that. If you got distracted, you can come back with us for real now. It leaves us with a very important question, does it not? What does all of that mean for us now? That's a story about the future of the world. What does that mean for us living in the present? If you and I reshape our lives and our imaginations with that story from the scriptures, how does it change the way that we live in our current setting? I think that's where Philippians 3 comes in. So take a look with me first at verse 20 in Philippians chapter 3. Paul says, but our citizenship is in where? You see it? Heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. Now stop there for just a second. Paul just dubbed himself and the Philippian believers, and by association, us, believers in the 21st century in Knoxville, Tennessee, he just labeled all of us citizens of heaven. Does that seem weird to anybody else? Did the Philippians used to live in heaven? Did they get their documentation in heaven and then came to live on earth? No. So in what way are they citizens of heaven then? Well, it helps to know that Paul is writing to Philippi, which was a Roman colony at the time. So he's borrowing from the idea of Roman citizenship. What Rome would often do anytime they acquired a new territory or a new piece of land or a new city is that they would send Roman citizens and plant them in that city in order to bring the, the culture and the values and the customs and the art and culture of Rome to that area. They were citizens of Rome whose job it was to Romanize Philippi. So Paul grabs that operational understanding of citizenship and he applies it to their relationship with Jesus. So listen, when Paul uses that expression, citizens of heaven, he is not saying, as some Christians sometimes do, that heaven is our home and what we're supposed to do is just keep to ourselves and live in a bubble and bide time until God takes us back to that place. That's not his point. In fact, in some ways, he's actually saying the opposite. He's saying that we should actively work in our day-to-day -day lives to bring the values and the customs and the culture of heaven to the place on earth in which we live. He's saying that they should be heavenizing Philippi, that they should be making Philippi more and more like heaven, that they, that they should live in Philippi as it is in heaven. And the same is true to us. That, that we should be living in Knoxville as it is in heaven, that we should be infiltrating the value system of earth with the value system of heaven. Are you following that idea? Now, I don't know that I have to make this distinction, but I'm going to anyway. Uh, when I say that we are called to infiltrate the culture and the values and the practices of earth with heaven, 
I don't mean that we do that by force or by violence or by political power or even by coercion. I feel like that's really important for me to say. I don't mean that we should go find a Christian somewhere, elect them to be our new president, and then we enact a theocracy where everybody has to obey the Ten Commandments or else, right? That's not the point at all. The kingdom of God does not come through force or violence or political power or coercion at all. In fact, that was one of the most frequent things that Jesus had to correct people on during his time on earth. We just talked a lot about it the past month or two in Matthew. One of the most popular misunderstandings of the kingdom was that people thought Jesus was coming to bring the kingdom by force and by power and by political might, and instead, he said he was bringing the kingdom like a tiny mustard seed that eventually grows into a tree, like yeast that slowly works its way through a batch of dough. Do you hear the massive difference between those two approaches? Two different ways that the people think the kingdom is coming. So God's kingdom is not enforced and coerced. That's not how it works. Like I said, I don't know that that's what any of you guys thought, but I feel like it is worth clarifying because on, on January 6th of this past year, there were a lot of people at the Capitol that had that part significantly misunderstood, who claimed to be Christians. And so it's important that we say that is not what we're called to do. We are not called to enforce the kingdom on people through force or political might or coercion. Instead, here's what we mean when we talk about bringing heaven to earth. We mean that we bring heaven to earth simply by living a radically different way. By living a radically different way. We bring heaven to earth by loving and serving our enemies rather than hating and canceling them. We bring heaven to earth by seeking the good of our neighbors as passionately or more passionately than we seek our own good. We bring heaven to earth by seeing our money as a resource and a tool to use for good in our world rather than a means to pad our own comfort and convenience. We bring heaven to earth by using our homes as ways to welcome in the lonely and the outcast rather than using our homes as ways to escape from the world. We bring heaven to earth not by forcing the kingdom of heaven onto Knoxville, but by demonstrating to Knoxville a radically different way of life. Which means when we see people and relationships and systems in our city that are broken, our first instinct should not be to look at those things and condemn them or judge them or complain about how broken they are. Our first instinct as followers of Jesus should be to look at those things and go, oh, that's a part of our city where heaven has not yet broken in. But I've been put here as a citizen of heaven. It's my job to participate with God in bringing the culture and the customs and the values of heaven to earth. So in light of that, how might God want me to participate in having heaven break in in that place? That's our job as followers of Jesus. Does that make sense to everybody? Okay, so let's finish out this idea from Paul. Let's read verses 20 and go into 21. It says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a savior from there, from heaven, 
the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Okay, so make no mistake about it. We are still waiting for something. We are awaiting the day that we just talked about earlier when Jesus will return and he will fully restore the kingdom of heaven in its fullness once and for all to earth when he makes what we have done in part fully complete, when he brings, quote, everything under his control in the words of Philippians. But I want you to notice two things about what happens on that day when Jesus returns. First, we don't float off into heaven, but rather Jesus comes from heaven to earth. Did you see that? It says we await a savior from there. And second, notice that the language about what will happen on that day is not the language of escape and removal from earth, but rather of renewal and transformation of everything on the earth. It says, he will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. He will make us, each and every one of us who follow Jesus, like we were always meant to be. And we're told elsewhere in the scriptures that he will actually do that for the entire cosmos, for all of creation. He will transform everything to be as it was always meant to be. So all of this means that our waiting is not a passive waiting. The waiting that we are doing as followers of Jesus is not a passive waiting, it's an active waiting. It's that we work actively to bring the realities of heaven to earth and we await the day when God will do fully what we can only do in part. And listen, the last thing that I want you to see is that those things are actually very connected to one another. Knowing that God will one day complete what we are participating in now motivates us to work all the harder in bringing heaven to earth in the meantime. I think Paul actually explains this really well in 1 Corinthians 15. You can flip there or we'll put it on the screen here in just a second. But in nearly all of 1 Corinthians 15, Paul is just unpacking in great detail what we've been talking about today, how Jesus is going to return one day to earth and he is going to put everything on earth under his control, under his authority. His kingdom is going to come fully on earth as it is in heaven. And then after all of that, after Paul talks about all of that in chapter 15, he gives this practical implication of all of it in verse 58. He says, this. Therefore, in light of all of that, in light of the fact that Jesus will one day return and complete what we have done in part now, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Knowing that Jesus will one day come and complete what we work towards in part now means that not a single bit of our effort is wasted. Not a single bit of our effort is in vain. Now, I think it would be easy to think that when Paul says your labor in the Lord, he means church work, right? Like ministry work, telling people about Jesus, preaching sermons, all of that. But in reality, there are all sorts of things that you and I do as followers of Jesus to join God in bringing heaven to earth that doesn't look anything like traditional church work. For instance, followers of Jesus working in administrative professions bring heaven to earth through order and organization. 
followers of Jesus who work as police officers bring heaven to earth through participating in justice. Artists and musicians through expressing God's creativity, stay-at-home parents through raising little Jesus followers and then releasing them into the world, social workers through expressing God's compassion and healing, city planners by creating environments for people to live and work and enjoy things, delivery drivers by expressing God's provision, and we could go on, right? Joining God in bringing heaven to earth does not mean that you need to change your profession to be more spiritual. It simply means that you get to view everything as a citizen of heaven would view it. Author and minister N.T. Wright puts it like this, and I think this quote is so helpful. He says, what you do in the present by painting, preaching, singing, sowing, praying, teaching, building hospitals, digging wells, campaigning for justice, writing poems, caring for the needy, loving your neighbor as yourself, will last into God's future. These activities are not simply ways of making the present life a little less beastly, a little more bearable until the day when we leave it behind altogether. They are part of what we may call building for God's kingdom building for God's kingdom. And Paul says that when you build for God's kingdom, when that is what you are involved in, when you understand where God's world is headed, how this story ultimately ends, it enables you to stand firm in your efforts, to let nothing move you, to give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor is not in vain. When you work towards what God is working towards, not a bit of your effort is wasted. That's what it means to live in Knoxville as it is in heaven. So I realize that a lot of what we've talked about today has still felt fairly big picture. It's more of a worldview teaching. It's how we look at our lives and that reality in our city and in our world. But what we're going to do for the rest of this series, for the next six weeks, is that we're going to press this big idea down into some practicals. We're going to press this idea down into six specific ways that we feel called to participate in all of this as a church family. There are way more than six ways, to be sure. Like I just said, it kind of encompasses all of our lives. But there are six specific ways that we want to highlight as a pastoral staff in this series. But what we're going to do is, is with each of these things, each of the ways that we participate in bringing heaven to earth, we're going to talk about how there's something, some kind of reality in heaven that we are tapping into. So we're going to look at some aspect of the new heavens and the new earth, how the world one day will be, and then we're going to do our best to bring that down into some practicals for how we live now. So this morning, I want to just give you a preview of where we're headed so you know what to expect the next handful of weeks. Next week, we're going to look at intimacy with God. In other words, because one day we will live in perfect, unbroken relationship with God forever, we are also invited to practice that by living in close relationship with God now. The next week, we'll look at confession and repentance because one day we will be free of sin entirely we are invited to practice regularly confessing and repenting of our sin now. We'll look at discipleship because one day we will all be made to be like Jesus and brought to complete maturity in him. We are also invited to practice that by helping one another become a little bit more like Jesus now. 
Then we'll talk about generosity because one day everyone will have the resources they need and no one will be wanting. We are called to share and sacrifice our resources now as a way of practicing that future reality. And then uh, next to last, we'll look at mission because one day every nation and tribe and tongue will be present around the throne of God in the new heavens and the new earth. We are called to participate in God's mission of reaching those people now. And finally, we'll talk about justice. Because the new heavens and earth is a place where justice is done and all is as it should be in the world, we practice that future reality by doing justice and participating in justice now. So that's where we're headed for the rest of the series. With every week, we're going to attempt to dial into one aspect of life in the new heavens and the new earth and then talk in detail about how to live into those realities in more and more ways in our world today. But this morning, I just want to wrap up with one very important thing. Uh, I think in some ways it would be easy to hear everything that we've been talking about this morning and, and just think of it and, and interpret it as, cool, so we just get to make the world a better place. Got it. Understand what we're talking about. And that's true. We, we do get to make the world a better place as followers of Jesus. But that's also not all we're saying. We're not just saying that we do positive things for the world and that that somehow means that we are a part of God's kingdom. Because you see, in order to be a part of God's kingdom, you have to know the king. And in order to build for the kingdom of God, you first need a relationship with God. In fact, I would argue that a lot of the problem in our world, in our society right now, is that we've got quite a lot of people who want to bring some version of heaven to earth. They want to establish some version of heaven on earth. They want to establish a kingdom that looks something like God's kingdom, but they're trying to establish that kingdom without a king. And that'll never work. We all love our own personal kingdoms way too much to be able to build something together if there's not a king in charge of everything. So before we get to the practicals for the rest of this series, I, I do just need to ask every one of us in the room, do you know the king? Do you know the one who came down from heaven and climbed up on a cross for you? Do you know the one who, who left his home and came searching on a rescue mission for you? And do you know that participation in his kingdom is the best thing you'll ever be a part of? This is the story that he is writing, that the king is writing. My question is, are all of us a part of it? Are we a part of that kingdom? Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for who you are. God, thank you for the story of the scriptures that um, you desire to bring more and more of heaven to earth. God, thank you that you have not abandoned us, you have not abandoned your world. but that you are actively seeking to bring um, your value system and your customs and the way you think the world should be to bear in our world. 
And so God, our prayer is that um, that we wouldn't miss that, we wouldn't overlook that, that we wouldn't think um, that our job is just to make some sort of a decision to follow you and then just sort of wait around until, um, until you take us up into heaven, but instead we would participate with you in bringing the realities of heaven to earth, that we would see that as our job, we would see that as our role, that we would be able to see everything that we do and everything that we participate in as a part of that master plan. God, we pray that um, we would bring every aspect of our life personally under your rule and your reign. God, that we would yield to you and to your better way of life in regards to how we see our day-to-day rhythms and our money and our sexuality and God, every single aspect of our life, would you help us to see it through that lens, through your lens, and through the lens of the way that you are making all things new. God, my prayer is that we wouldn't write that off as a future thing, but we would also see it as a a present thing, as something that we are called to be a part of. So God, would you help us? Would you give us your spirit? Would you give us your wisdom? Would you give us your heart for the world, for the people that we come into contact with? Would you help us to see all of those things like you see them? We ask this in your name.